Put push it away. All right, now try talking into that. Okay, well now your microphone's just totally off. I don't understand. How about now? Okay, well now it's back on. Talking like that, totally right. normally. Is that better? What were we trying to? That is, that is way better. Okay, give me a take. I don't know. Give me one of your scripted spoon-fed takes. <laughs> I don't have spoon-fed takes here. Just a little contemplation is all I'm asking for. I don't want to be fighting asymmetric information warfare every freaking episode. What do you mean asymmetric information warfare? We both sit down. We both watch the race. You've got a chance to record your thoughts. You're welcome to throw curveballs at me if you'd like to. Maybe I'm just a better bullshitter. I can't really help you with that, Well, buddy. we know that's like, the fact. There's no, don't get caught flat there's no real question about that. Don't get caught flat-footed, man. That's all I got to say. Like, <laughs> I didn't realize this was a, a gotcha interview here. I thought this was a safe space. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to create organic conversations, and you're over here asking for me to, you know, basically brief you in advance of the interview, like you're the president. You're of the over United here at States. Craft- I think. <laughs> I think that's a little bit unreasonable. You're crafting bad takes here. This should be a collective effort. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to Unqualified. I'm Graham. This is G. We, uh, shockingly, G, maybe have a lot to talk about. Barcelona coming up. A lot of people dogging it pretty hard, maybe based on some history, but we had hot temperatures. We had tire degradation. We had DNFs. Uh, we had a lot of upgrades thrown on cars. Uh, so a lot to unpack here. What was uh, What's kind of the first thing on your mind? Yeah, so just the brief rundown. Hot and sunny Spain left uh, Mr. Leclerc a bit shorthanded in, uh, with his first in-race mechanical issues of the year, dropping him from what was a comfortable first place to uh, did not finish. Um, while his teammate, Signs had an early spin that took him to the back of the order and, and made his day a bit more difficult. Uh, Red Bull had a 1-2 finish with uh, Perez having to succumb to some team orders to let Max through on his way to uh, a first place finish. So we will absolutely chat more about that. But, uh, and then for Mercedes, Ruff, Russell delivered once again, another flawless drive P three for him while uh, Hamilton, just like signs climbed his way back from the back of the grid after uh, an unfortunate incident with K mag on, on lap one turn four. So exciting race overall far, far more than what I think many people would have expected. Pretty dynamic strategy. I think with the heat, this was the first like real hot race that we saw, and we saw three and four stop strategies. We saw qualifying back to your one and done before you have to head to the pits again. So um, it was a bit of a, a race of old, but uh, more exciting than many thought. Look, look me in the eyes. How, how much do you delight in Ferrari's pain? <sighs> delight in Ferrari's pain? I don't think I do, man. I don't think I do. I think I think I delight in some balance. I think they have largely been victims of self-inflicted pain up until this point. Um, have had more or less, you know, mechanically flawless cars come race day. So it's good to see a little bit of the the karma 
balance out in the world. How about you? I know you're a little bit more of a, a sadist. I, um, Charles Leclerc is one of the good guys. And Carlos Sainz is too. I don't know why I delight in their demise. It might have something to do with Bonato. But I think I, I agree with your point in that it was kind of nice to see the team F up. Like, they're they're human. Up until this point, it's been all driver-induced. Um, look, I mean, Mercedes is surging. Red Bull has, again, arguably the fastest car, if they can get their reliability, which they seem to have gotten it a little bit more under control, minus the DRS wing. <laughs> uh, minor details. Um, but the big boys are coming to play. And Ferrari's lead is gone, like officially gone. And now they've got to develop. They've got to be consistent. Like they can't play like a midfield team anymore. And right now they're kind of fighting like a midfield team, to be honest with you. So uh, they might have a might need to have a little bit of a come to Jesus in that garage. And uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what Monaco holds for him. Well, I love at this point in the year, like how close that keeps the competition, right? And how dramatic one bad weekend like that still is. And, and while Mercedes is lagging a little bit, I mean, a couple more races, they could close the gap. And now you have three teams very tight where, you know, one race where you have one driver out and you go from first to third would be amazing for the sport and something that hasn't been seen in a very long time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for narrowing of the pack. I, I think it's just funny. What it reminds me of is just all the people that after the third race of the year were just talking about, Ferrari's going to just go run and hide with it. The lead's too big. Talking about how the season's out of reach. Like, it's absolutely laughable if anybody makes a comment of that nature for any team before the summer break, especially in a season like this. I think that the the best outcome that we could have is a three-horse race at the end. And the way that the top three teams are trending, that seems like it's very likely. Well, maybe not very likely, but possible. Yeah. Which I'm very thrilled about. Yeah. So... So we have, to, we have to address the elephant in the room. As two Red Bull racing fans, uh, as big Sergio Perez supporters, uh, dealt a little bit of a sour pill today in, in him receiving team orders, not just once or twice, but maybe even three times. I think he was given team orders with Max. Um, you know, and to the team's credit, they walked away, taking the lead in the Constructors' Championship, walked away with Max taking the lead in the Driver' Championship. But without team orders, Max has a DRS issue. Maybe he can't get by Perez. Perez is right there in the in the drivers' championship just as well. So, lots of controversy around team orders. What what are, what's your take? Are we for against? I mean, I'm very much for team orders, and I say that as a Sergio Perez fan, uh, a massive one. He's my favorite driver, but I don't live in a world of unconstrained decision-making. I live in a world of trade-offs, right? And anybody that's deeply upset about Sergio Perez getting called basically the second driver implicitly by what Red Bull did, because like, let there be no doubt. That is what they were saying with how they aligned his strategy, the fact, you know, the, the, sp- the speed at which they told him to get out of Max's way and not vice versa. But at the same time, what was the alternative? Like, create a scenario where Max was going to have to dive down the inside of Perez and risk both cars, basically, in the last 10 of the race when it was undeniable that they were getting a 1-2. Like, I'm sorry. At the end of the day, it's not a sport of individuals. There's a, there's a constructors and a driver's championship for a reason, and Red Bull's going to optimize the team that's pouring all this money into these cars. Like, they're going to optimize for the team result and then the best driver that they think can win the drivers, which has never been in question. 
I think Perez is going to get his opportunities. The biggest risk for them at this point forward is just, and I don't think it's going to be hard because Perez is a mature guy. And you can even hear it on the team radio. Like he was mad, but he wasn't unreasonable. I think it's just going to be managing like his expectations throughout the rest of the year, especially if he continues to, to podium. Um, because he's not going to, like unless he starts getting a lot of DNFs, like he's not going to just like fall apart in the driver's championship. Like he's not going to be that far behind Max. So I don't know. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I would say largely similar. I mean, when you have to, when you look at the circumstances that had to unfold for Perez to sort of even be in that position from Max spinning out, which fully granted that's on Max, right? But then you have the DRS wing issue. So there was a, co- a confluence of things that had to play out to pull Sergio even within a place to pass. And look, I think it is going to become a bigger issue as pace narrows, right? Because right now, I think you can look at Sergio and say, at what point, other than a, a singular qualifying performance, have you been on pace consistently or outpacing, right? And so I think they, to your point, being realistic with expectations and setting some sort of bar. Where it's saying, like, if you're not achieving this, this is what it takes to be perceived with parity. Now, I think even if you hit that point, I don't know that he would be seen as an equal number one driver. I mean, Max has both from the length of his contract to being the championship winning driver to being the leader at this point to outperforming consistently. It's hard to say that they should have made any different of a decision. I mean, Max safely pulled away once he had clear air. So um, as bad as I feel for Perez, um, look, I think unfortunately his, his victory on the, and, and standing on the top step with Red Bull might have to come in a race where Max DNFs somehow or some way or starts at the back for another reason. But it, it's tough to see the reality where he wins that outright on a track short of some weird strategy circumstance that plays out in a, in a weird weather, weather race or with a, uh, a safety car, but yeah, it's it's a tough driver to go against, unfortunately for Perez. Well, for sure, but I I do wonder though, in a weekend where Perez matches Max on qualifying pace, and is either a couple hundredths off or even starts in front of him on the grid like he did in in Jetta, does Red Bull make a different decision there? You know, because th- to me it was unarguable that Max had better single lap pace, putting his and race pace, putting his mistake aside. But there are other tracks where that may not necessarily be true for one reason or the other. And so if it's early in the season and Max still hasn't built up a massive lead, if I'm Christian Horner and I'm sitting there on the pit wall, I'm considering Perez in front. He gained track position on merit and qualifying. Is it worth the emotional damage you do to a driver to then force team orders on him when there really is no objective argument like there was this weekend? Well, I think that's the difference. I think that, that's the I, difference. So, you have to so have do you think that Red Bull clear, make a different decision? Yeah, I think if you have... And you'd have to set that with drivers. You'd think you'd want to, at least. Otherwise, it's just... And I think that's probably the issue that Ferrari had was there was probably no pro, clear protocols as to why or when they gave one set of orders versus another, and they had two very evenly matched drivers. But I think if you're saying objectively, here's what we expect you to either be hands-off or go one way or the other... And if you are hitting those marks and then we still give team orders the other way, that's then I think when it, it is legitimately an issue. But I think after the race, as they showed the statistics side by side, 
I, I'm sure he was understanding of that fact. But yeah, I think in that scenario, you'd, you'd hope that they would be a bit more a bit more even. It's a good point. I give Perez credit for not uh, overreacting emotionally, like like in the car. He made his disagreement like very known, but he didn't harp on it. Yep. Um, but I do think, yeah, I do think in the debrief, he pro- it probably sunk in for him. I think the thing that he was mad about was fair, which was that they didn't clear Max out as quickly to let him get after Russell. They waited a lap or two for Max to try and get around, and then they decided to pit him. So I think that's like somewhat fair, but again, like it's hard to, you know, if you tell Max to get out of the way, then Max is going to be pissed off. Then maybe he makes a mistake. Like you're always balanced. You know, there's a lot in the balance. So. Well, and that aside, I, I think if it was a typical situation where it was taking him several laps to get by, maybe. But I mean, they were still sitting there trying to mess with the DRS and hope that that opened and Max could get by. <laughs> so there was this other like extenuating thing that they were managing and, and, and seeking to resolve in the midst of all of that. So... Um, yeah, very interesting, but yeah, hope, I mean, one, you hope Perez can keep narrowing the gap and have an even performance, but yeah, I mean, my first thought was the dude's earned it. Give him the fricking win. I mean, what more do you want this guy to do for you? But yeah, you have to hope that his time's, his time's coming soon enough and, and they'll recognize that for him. I'd offer to anybody who's really up in arms about this. Um, history is a great clarifier and, I mean, there have been times in F1 history where team orders have been far more nefarious. Like I was, I was doing a little research after it happened, and there's a there's a famous example of Michael Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, and Rubens Barrichello in 2002 when literally they were in a one-two, and Rubens Barrichello was in first on merit, and they literally told him to switch places on the last lap, like just to get Schumacher the championship points. And we're literally booed for the entire podium ceremony, and it like resulted in this rule from the FIA. Like we've been in far worse places than this. I don't think this was egregious. I'm not, you know, here for a free Sergio movement. Like it didn't feel great, and I'm sure Checo does not like being called "quote unquote" a great teammate over and over and over again. I think Martin Brundle like said that pretty blatantly on the on the broadcast. And I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> like if I'm Checo, I doesn't feel great, right? But he's a competitor. Like he shouldn't feel any other way. And, you know, so I don't think there's a real issue here. Yeah, I'm glad he picked up on that because every time you hear that on the radio, you're like, it's kind of like a friend zone comment. You know, like, oh, this is my really good friend. You're like, yeah, he's a really <laughs> good teammate. No, you want to be the rival, you know, like yeah, the... I know. the Driver's champion rival. That is such a better moniker, but yeah. Um, all right, so what else this week? Um, Red Bull controversy on, on team orders aside, I think the other big news had to be Mercedes. Uh, high expectations coming into this race for upgrades, seeking a resolution to the porpoising issue first and foremost, and big question marks of whether or not this whole zero side pod design was was the right path or whether they had made a, a, a big strategic blunder and might have to actually revert back to their more traditional design that they brought, I believe, in the, the first testing in Barcelona originally. But after this weekend, what was your what was your takeaway? How did they do? Dude, hats off. I mean, ha- hats off. Like, they didn't get it all back, but they got a lot of it back. I mean, they did. Like, you didn't see them bouncing like crazy coming into turns. Their performance on the straights was like rivaling Red Bulls. I mean, I, look, there's there's so many variables left uh, for the rest of the year, but I think you got to look at them and say, hey, you guys figure out your power unit issues and you could be right there. I mean, 
And and the relative performance of both their drivers, given the hands that they've been dealt, and putting the overheating aside, I will give Mercedes credit, honestly. They may have had overheating, but neither of the cars DNF'd because they, they saw it, and they got on the radio, and both drivers managed it appropriately, which is a part of team performance. Like, that's... That is a sign of team performance. So, like, I, I mean, they're they're right there, man. They were like ninety points off the constructors' lead from Red Bull. Took a massive leap forward. They got Monaco and Baku, which are a bit squirrely, but then they got kind of Silverstone falling quick after that. So, a little bit of engine progress, man. And I think these guys might be dangerous. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish. Surprisingly, so maybe. Yeah, I think the changes they brought definitely improve the porpoising issue which was the first hurdle that they had to to climb right i mean they there was no point in investing anything else unless you knew that the fundamental design concept was able to operate effectively porpoising being the number one problem and i think that they they checked that box is it perfect i don't know right they might have been compensating a little bit for the 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 setup still ride height what have you to to help alleviate it but i think what you saw was probably the the starting performance of the car how they viewed it in the wind tunnel, in the simulation, without the porpoising. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, we saw what what happened late last season when they got to focus purely on developing engine performance, right? And um, and they're there now. So it, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, yeah, I think the, you mentioned the, the whole team performance. I think you see little hiccups here and there with Ferrari, right? as we get into Monaco, yeah. right? The the situation last year where Monica, uh, Leclerc kind of hit the wall in qualifying. They thought they fixed the issue or his suspension was fine. And then he ended up basically DNFing, I think, on the formation lap. So, and then you see little stuff with Red Bull all throughout the season. It's this thing or that thing. And so, but when you look at Mercedes and, and some engineering question marks with a dramatically different concept aside, they are incredibly consistent, flawless in their like weekend performance. So yeah, if all they have to do is optimize an engine and and keep making tweaks on aero, yeah, they're going to be very dangerous as their rivals keep having random DNFs and and other mechanical issues. So, dude, if they get a double podium on merit at some point in the next like month, two months, how much juice is there going to be in that garage? Like they haven't had to work for it yet in the constructors, right? Which am I going to have to, how many pings am I going to have to edit out from all these text messages you're getting from your, from your baby mama? <laughs> Shit's blowing up, man. Dude, uh, <laughs> do we need to take a break? Like <laughs> <laughs> shit's bubbling up here, man. Well, who doesn't, who sits down in front of a, a, a high pickup microphone to record a podcast and doesn't put their damn cell phone on vibrate. <laughs> like, it's the iPad. I'm trying to, I Jesus. thought I had the sound off. What the hell? Oh, yeah, you just bought your iPad and you don't know how to use it. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Good Lord. I thought man. it was supposed to be user-friendly, they said. <laughs> You're an absolute disgrace. Out of the box, they told me. <laughs> You're a freaking 85-year-old helpless man. <laughs> Good Lord. It's like trying to teach my grandma how to use the cable box. But how do I log in? All right. Um, all right, so... Mercedes really well excited by, <laughs> excited by the performance. You've totally switched teams, freaking Fairweather fan. Um, <laughs> the other the other unique thing about Barcelona this week is we had the uh, the youngins out driving on the track in yeah. FP one. We had Mr. DeVries um, and um, oh fuck, <laughs> your hips. <laughs> 
Yep. Vips. Um, <laughs> I, I, no, to be fair, I uh, butchered the spelling in the show notes. So you would have probably just said like juicy vipes uh, <laughs> based on how I spelled it. Alright, we gotta cut the show here. We, we gotta pick this back up. Re edit here. Oh man, we're we're rolling. Um Yuri Vips. Yep. Alright, so we had to <laughs> Uh, I'm not cutting any of that out. <laughs> oh, of course not. So we had DeVries, we had Vips, we did not have Oscar Piastri on track, which, starting there, a couple of shots of him during practice while the others were out, he looked painfully dejected. I mean, and with his past, literally the pedigree of Leclerc or Verstappen, and the guy can't get a drive, so I mean, I felt, I felt bad for him. Why, Why are you going to hate from outside the club, Oscar? You can't even get in? Oof. Ouch! It's tough, dude. It's a numbers game. I mean, it... well, well, we'll we'll talk about that of who should who should genuinely be out in a moment. Yeah, but, but um, how do you think it made him feel when Nick DeFries was putting down better FP one times than Nicholas Latifi? Well, so so let's talk about that. We had on the Williams, we had DeVries sitting in for Alex Albon because let's face it, uh, Latifi could use the practice. Um, but <laughs> while on, <laughs> while no, yeah. Yeah. So while on Re- on Red Bull, Vips sitting in for for Perez, and so just very different strategies of Red Bull biasing towards keeping their number one driver on track. Um, while on Williams, you have to assume that they were very expressly creating a comparison between Latifi 100%. and DeVries on track, and basically DeVries performed right in line with Latifi, which you have to count as a win for DeVries and a loss for Latifi. What's your take on young driver performance this weekend? I'm gonna give my I'm gonna give myself a bit of a an own goal from my take last. Well, I should say not last week, literally three days ago when we recorded the <laughs> <laughs> the Miami recap. Uh, I said, dude, Nick DeVries comes in that car and beats Latifi in FP1 because you better believe they had the same fuel, same setup, same everything. Oh yeah, they weren't running a different program like they were no. with Vips nine seconds off. No. Oh, dude, they looked at Yuri Vips in that garage and said, if you crash this thing, you're fucking dead. See, <laughs> other setup aside, I, that's what was my first thought is it was it was just yeah. like, bring the car home. And he was like, dear God, I am not screwing this up. <laughs> Literally, if you keep our guy from participating in the next practice session, we will kill your family. Yeah, <laughs> you are gone. We'll yeah. gasly your ass so fast out of here. Dude, there's, all, there's no other reason why they could not put a Red Bull in front of an Acid Martin in practice. I mean, it was like, come on. Now, supposedly they were doing a different setup, running a different program, but still, I'm not sure that any program counts for five seconds unless it was like max fuel race start program. But You could have uh, put half the grid from the W Series event earlier in the weekend in that same car with no constraints, and they would have put it faster than your Vips. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, let's not, let's not be crazy here. <laughs> Come on, man. Have you have you not listened to the Susie Wolf app? Ah, anyway, I think Susie Wolf would have been rapid. I'm here for it. Um, all right. So young drivers, Mr. Piastri, a dream deferred. Um, have to wait. But they keep promising him later in the season at the uh at the next opportunity, he'll get his shot. So um, you know, keeps on hoping on. Um all right, so dramatic. Well, hold on, yeah. Quick, can I quick question? Yeah. Piastri's in the Alpine Young Driver program, right? He is. I mean, come on. How many more years does Alonso have on him? Like, he he has a he has a future somewhat secured, I think. So I don't want to feel too sorry for him. Well, so this weekend aside, because I don't think that any any uh, there weren't really any performances that I think changed my perspective of where a driver really stands this year overall. 
but but who disagree? All right, well let's let's dig into that. Uh, so wait, who changed for you today then or yesterday? Uh, dude, I don't think Carlos Sainz has ever had a better opportunity to win a race. But I guess I guess change perspective from like being gone next year. Oh, oh, you mean from that extreme? Yes. No. Okay. No, I don't think. All right, we'll get back I to signs. Yes. I oh, agree okay. With you. Hold on. Actually, hold on. Wait. Latifi was kind of faster than Albon on merit, and I don't actually mean kind of. Like he was forty seconds up the road. Did I miss something? I couldn't find anything that indicated that level of difference. I tried to assassinate him. I try. I was looking for tire issues, mech issues for Albon. I was like, maybe he has tonsillitis or whatever the hell that <laughs> that Norris had. He can't even speak on team radio. I don't know. Maybe his hair dye ran down into his eyes and he couldn't see. Like, <laughs> never <laughs> thoroughly <laughs> investigated an 18th place <laughs> in your life, have you? I was working so hard to discredit him. I really was. But I couldn't find anything. Like, he honestly, I think, blew Albon's doors off on merit. So what you think that do you think that means now Latifi should be staying next year? Is that you think he secured his drive with his sixteenth place finish? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm trying to do my best to answer your question, which is did anyone even slightly change your perception of them? If anyone came even close, it was Latifi. I think I'm always gonna believe it was a flash in the pan. And he's gonna go right back to the bottom feeders. It probably has nothing to do with him. It probably had everything to do with Albon. Something about the tires didn't agree with him. I don't know. But still. Well, and he ended up taking, I think Albon ended up taking four stops as well. So that had to be he, a, a he large no, part I, of it. And so, yeah, the tire, yeah. something about the, the tire usage and, and the starting strategy had to, to not align. But all right, so maybe Latifi on the up and up here um, from 20th to 16th. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> it's a 20, don't put words in my damn mouth. 25% of the grid right in just one week. Um, Get Latifi's name out your mouth so but if you think about these young drivers you think about where are they going to go there's only 20 spots there's a lot of drivers who don't have contracts for next year as of now who's getting replaced by one of these young guns and and don't worry about which team which young driver programming i mean that's a whole a whole other story but which drivers are out filling spots for these guys or opening spots for these guys i think there's a decent chance vettel is going to be an open seat uh well, by TV, choice 100%. or by by yeah, yeah. I think he's going to opt out. No, I think he's going to opt out. I don't think they're going to force him out. Um, because let's be honest, like what's the alternative? Like Stroll's not going to leave, and Vettel looks good on a relative basis to Stroll. So I think the only way out is for Vettel to basically self-select out. Um, and I think the only thing that'll keep that from happening is if Aston Martin has like a surge in performance second half of the year, which I don't see happening. Uh, even with a car that is basically a Red Bull. If Vettel's out, that gives Stroll at least one more year because they'll probably want some continuity. Yeah. Right? Whether or not he's gone after that, which he should be, he he gets to hang on for one more year. All right. So you got Vettel out. Vettel's out. Latifi's out. The question with Latifi is, is he going to make it to the end of the year or not? But I think he's out either way. Um, And then, you know, the other big question mark for me is both Haas seats. But for different reasons, right? Mick Schumacher, for reasons we've talked about, which is like relative performance is still pretty poor. I mean, I know he got to Q3, but he's still four-tenths off of K-Mag. And then you got K-Mag, who is fast, but also reckless, and also 
I'm assuming if he comes back in the next year, would probably want to renegotiate a contract and probably would want to ask for more money than he's worth, just given how much experience he has. So I can see a scenario where both Haas seats come open. And I've also then made my you know position clear on Danny Ricardo. So, you know, I could see a scenario where five seats are open. I mean, it's po- It's not the most likely one, but it's possible. I don't know. What do you think? So, so five seats if Haas clears the deck. Four if they keep one. Yeah, that's the that's the bull case. Bear case is probably two. And your two would be Vettel Latifi. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I think you could maybe see three with one off the Haas team. But yeah, I mean, they're in a bit of a quandary between do you keep the guy who's performing better um but a little bit of a but a little bit reckless versus Mick who's clearly underperforming but potentially has the potential still I mean again we've already said first year with a new car he's been a bit of a slow learner with new cars and I just don't know how you assess somebody's like relative brand value because that would be what I would still think he has over over Magnuson is that more marketable I, I just don't know how you really quantify that when winning is what matters performance is what matters but i i mean what is mick schumacher's brand value i could argue i mean obviously i know what it stems from it's his last name but i could make just as easy of an argument that if you threw an american in that car who was like a young hotshot from a popularity standpoint he could have an equal level of brand value basically within a year so i don't you could make that claim for both drivers, but I guess you would say what? Then Magnuson you would keep for the, the continuity and the tenure and performance yeah. at this point? So you think Mick is Mick is in and out like that? I No, I think the more likely outcome is that he's not out. I think the more likely outcome is that Haas keeps both of them. If Haas stays financially solvent, which is a big if, we ought to do like a deep dive on that at some point. Because I think this whole like they're no longer getting checks from Urakali is kind of been glossed over. Like, has anybody checked in on them? Like, how are they doing financially? I have no idea. I know they haven't put a damn bit of upgrade on that car. So, you know, but I think the more likely scenario is that they have the status quo for next year. Um, But if one driver goes, both are going. You think if one goes, both are going. Yeah. They're just gonna hit the reset button. You never know. I feel like they've done that before and it didn't it didn't pan out well. Well, yeah, because Nikita Masmo was one of the drivers they were planning. Separate issue. Everything to do with him. Yeah. All right. Gore, do you want to go next? Let's uh before we get to the teams, um a lot of drama throughout the weekend. Um a bit of an unexpected finish. Where do you think? Uh, where do we think the three, the top three teams stack up now? Ooh, uh, Mercedes third, but surging. Um, I the gap between Sainz in terms of Ferrari, the gap between Sainz and Leclerc grew. Undeniable, Ferrari had better single lap pace. They're better in low speed turns. I would put them as the favorite at Monaco. Baku. I don't know, but like, I think that they took a very small step forward on relative car performance, but definitely not on driver performance or reliability. So I think that nets out to zero. Relative to its competitors or just period? Period. Okay. Well, relative to Red Bull mostly. So I I think that they went ahead 
They took a step forward in single lap race pace with their upgrades, but then a step back in general liability and second driver performance. I think that nets to zero, and so I'd still give the relative edge to Red Bull. Mm. Interesting. I think Red Bull is still my favorite for the constructors. Ferrari being Ferrari, and then Mercedes is surging and has a bit of a wild card after the summer break. What do you, what do you think? I think I'd have to move Mercedes up to second. I, oh. I think seeing the change in, in the car this weekend, seeing some validation in a really different concept, I think it was just... I, I love the fact that they took real-world inspiration from somewhere else, namely, I believe, like jet fighter design. Where and, and I mean, you look at other places where people have extrapolated sort of um, design principles like the Japanese bullet trains from a, a, a kingfisher bird, right? And you see how um, important that is. I mean, we've dumped how much money into developing F-22s and F-35s? Like, I think there's a pretty good research base there. Um, and seeing that bit of validation, I, I and namely watching Russell from the driver cam throughout all of qualifying, which, by the way, if, if you're getting more into F1, the the absolute best thing you can do for yourself is get F1 TV and watch the freaking driver cams because it's like a totally different experience. Yeah. I mean, watching Russell, Russell start to finish through qualifying, it looks like he is driving a spaceship where everyone else is still trying to drive a car. Um, and it just, I don't know, I get the impression like he knows exactly where that car is headed in the future. And, and he's ready for it. So, and you take that with the consistency. And again, I just think expectations of Ferrari just doing some dumb shit throughout the year, having some mechanical issues, some inconsistency for Leclerc and the obvious inconsistency with the signs, which has been a bit surprising. I, I'd have to put them in, in second in the constructors. I think that, uh, it's, a, it's a well-founded argument. I don't entirely agree with you. Uh, on the conclusion that I'd put him ahead on the constructors level now, but George Russell is so good. He's so good, man. I don't think there's any refuting it at this stage of the season. He is consistent. He is a good defender. He has great single lap pace. He is a he appears to be good in the team room with feedback. He knows how to adjust to the car. To your point on the onboards, like. He is driving that car for what it is, not for what he wants it to be. And that is truly impressive. I I mean, well, this is or I don't want to get too much into Monaco here, but I know there's rain in the forecast on Saturday and Sunday. Give me a wet Monaco qualifying. I I might just put George Russell on pole. And pole in Monaco is a win. I, he I think he's that good. I really do. I'll be interested to see Lewis Hamilton in a car where he's more comfortable and he doesn't get hit by K-Mag early in the race, actually able to, <laughs> to like, see if he can, you know, fight with Russell. But, like, dude, th the moves that he put on Max, at the and I know Max's DRS flap was, like, whatever, but he put that car in the perfect position every time. And then the one time Max got through him, he got him on the exit of the next turn absolutely perfectly, Fair racing, gave him space, knew exactly where to put the car, knew how much grip. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, that was a phenomenal battle. It's a bit unfortunate that it had to be produced as a result of 
you know, no DRS for Max. And I think, unfortunately, look, I would love for racing to be, you know, pure like the olden days where you didn't need DRS. But for this whole argument of is DRS ready to go away or not, I think we pretty much prove that we absolutely still need DRS as a result of this race. At this track, track. sure. But I mean, that's not like that's a short straight necessarily, right? I mean, if he couldn't pull off the pass there, there's a only a handful of tracks where you're getting even longer straights. So, yeah, but it's, it's a, a bit it's, it's a, a bit sh- premature. It's a short straight, but similar to that straight in Miami, it's a short. It, I'm sorry, it's a long straight, but with a really low speed chicane at the beginning at the beginning of it, and so you get that whole dynamic of like the punchiness of the car in front. They extend the gap, and then it's hard to make it back back up. I think. If it's the same racetrack, but they get rid of that asinine chicane and guys actually come onto the home straight with pace, it could be a different dynamic, and you may be able to get around somebody, you know, on pure, on pure slipstream. I don't know, but I don't know. I'm not here to dunk on the DRS or not DRS. All I know is that the cars are better, and I'm not going to complain, right? Because they're going to keep improving it. They aren't all the way there yet, but like, yeah. Um. All right. So top three teams, you're holding steady, but the gap's closing me. I'm switching it up a little bit. Pumped by Mercedes. All right, we we have to. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't. Um, we as as much as we hold the teams and the drivers accountable for their performance on and off track, we'd be remiss if we didn't recognize um, our own past comments and hold ourselves accountable. So last week we made a couple of uh, dramatic predictions at your behest. Uh, I believe you predicted a, a, an Aston Martin coming in the top five, while I thought <laughs> this would be Gasly's breakout weekend. Um, and just to check the numbers here, I believe Vettel finished 16th. No, I'm sorry, that was... No, uh, no he no. was 11th. Vettel finished 11th with Stroll in 15th, uh, meanwhile Gasly in 13th. So we were <laughs> both way wrong. Uh, On a relative my... basis... On a relative basis, I think mine was closer to being accurate than yours was. <laughs> I I think only from the fact that you actually had some form of information that might have yielded a better performance from them, but I almost think <laughs> you're more wrong because of that. The fact that they were able to bring upgrades replicating a Red Bull and performed maybe even worse than in previous races. So I think you I think you actually get a demerit for that one. That was literally the same it was the same car. They literally rolled out a green rebel. Did you see the Red Bull social media admin like photoshopping? Or no, it wasn't even. They they literally passed out the green version yes. of Red Bull. Like I was like, dude, props to you, whoever you are. Like, what a great troll. I don't know if anybody listening is watching practice. I feel like if you watch <laughs> the race and the qualifying, you're already doing too much. But yeah, that was like 20 minutes of conversation in that practice session. It was just yeah the Red Bull pit lane with their green cans. And I'm like, okay, got it. Yep. That, that's a good one. Um, we can move on. Do you, do you, do we want to go down this rabbit hole now or do we want to wait till we get to Aston and the team reviews? Cause I have some things to say about that. I mean, the only other team we'd talk about before Aston is Williams. So, I mean, what the hell we might, let's get to Aston. What you got? Yeah. We've already covered the album on Latifi thing. Okay. Should what Aston did, Inside, it was pr- primarily the side pods and the floor design were basically one for one. I mean, they were even slit, like the little arrow slits in the side of the floor were like the same shape and in the same part of the floor. <laughs> like, I, should that be allowed? 
And I guess maybe what I'm saying when I, I say that is it must be allowed because otherwise the FAA would be on their case. Or is this simply just a matter of Red Bull not making a big deal out of it because Aston still sucks? So they're not going to waste energy on it. Like, it literally is the same car with a different engine. Yeah, well, first off, I think if if Aston Martin was in the business of copying cars, I just still don't know why they're running that horribly squared front nose cone while everyone else has moved to like a much more rounded nose cone. I feel like you would have started at the front of the car and realized, hey, we're doing something different here. So um, they might want to look into that. But um, it's a good question. I mean, I think overall, I mean, yes, are they probably not making a big deal of it because Aston Martin isn't anywhere close to them still? Sure, maybe. Would they make a bigger deal if they were in a championship fight together? Probably 100%, but you could say they would make a bigger deal about absolutely everything at that point. Look, I I think in terms of what they did with, like, no. I, I think at the end of the day, that's something that's visible. You can look at that. You can realize, like, hey, yes, okay, they have this sort of, like, machine, um, this, like, bear rifling shape on their side pods, and clearly we can see some contouring on the floor. I think it helps bring trailing teams closer in competition particularly in the days where there was a a very different budget for development between the teams i think it could bring it closer and i don't think it's like gonna mean aston's going to be the faster car because they're always looking for inspiration and they didn't as much as they could sort of extrapolate learnings from what they saw from those other cars there's still elements that are not going to be identical and the car design is a complete package and it doesn't work right unless all of the pieces fit together perfectly. And I think you saw the the reality of of that this weekend. I don't disagree with the point about total car design. It's a package. Red Bull's probably got some crazy-ass proprietary suspension that's helping them avoid porpoising hidden underneath the back of the car that's like, you know, so I hear you. But also... There's a lot of former Red Bull guys working at Aston Martin right now that that got paid big bucks. This guy, Dan Fallows, went over in the first half of last year. He had like a six-month non-compete, and now he's active. Uh, They've had two or three more guys in the Red Bull Aero department kind of get lured over by big contracts, big employment contracts since then. I mean, that's also part of it, too. It's like you got these guys that helped this early design at Red Bull who are now over at Aston Martin and are helping them piece it together. So... It's not just like them looking at the car, you know, taking basically like a a picture of, of like a 3D print of it and then just reproducing it, right? Like they've got more inside information than that. So Red Bull's done the same thing with Mercedes people as well. Oh, right? and so has oh, every other sure. team. So where do you draw the line? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you draw the line in basically Red Bull determining whether they care enough to file a anti-competitive or whatever, like, a, I, I don't know, like a violation of employment contract, like lawsuit, but obviously they're just not threatened enough by Aston Martin. Maybe that stuff's happening behind the scenes. I don't know. I think if Aston Martin had been challenging for a podium, like Horner would have sounded off a little bit differently, and there'd probably be some legal action. Well, and, and while the FIA is not free from any sort of skepticism about how their shady dealings, um, at least on the face, they said they had looked at it, Aston Martin had... Uh, tested something similar in the wind tunnel earlier in the year. And so they have some sort of audit trail. I don't know if that's a little bit more of daddy strolls money, making its way into the piggy banks, but, um, but. Dan Fallows could have, 
Dan Fallows could have sent them a he could have signed an employment contract a month before he announced he was leaving Red Bull, sent him a picture of the side pads side pods on WhatsApp, and we would have no like no traceability. Like that shit probably happens all the time. Yeah, and I mean obviously I think that would be would be kind of outside the bounds. Uh but again, so tough to to regulate that. Um I'm I'm more interested of if it is indeed true that they had tested that, like what how they came to the decision not to use it to not right to not use it right away right yeah. did was this design somehow like so nuanced in that it would resolve the porpoising issues which they weren't really able to interpret effectively in the wind tunnel which means adrian Newey looks like even more of a genius where he had to like he superseded what the wind tunnel would have told him was the right move so i, I think that leads boss. that leads to way more interesting questions to me like because i think all of them are, are play dirty in that way or as soon as a car crashes you know people were taking pictures of the ferrari's floor um after the signs accident so i mean it's all yeah i i love it when judgment prevails over science because we live in a world where science increasingly prevails overall because we have so much data but the whole red bull aero philosophy seems to be the opposite scenario where like everybody else had the science tell them that there was a design that was most efficient and Adrian knew he was like, guys, I've been around the block. I was around the last time we ran ground effect cars. And I'm telling you that it's not going to work like actually on the track. And they went a different way and they were totally right. That's why they're paying that dude the big bucks. Well, and that's why I was so, I guess, not surprised that Red Bull started so strong while other, but more surprised that others struggled with it so early is who didn't, when they, when they whiteboarded out, like, all right, we have these new regulations. We're going to ground effects. What are some of like the risks or issues we should be concerned about or like make sure that we resolve? I feel like that would have been near the top of the list and and yet it persisted. And so, um, yeah, I, it, it's it's props to him, which even more so for for Mercedes as well. I think they went with something even crazier out of the box and while porpoising like really bit them early. It seems like they've they've stuck by the concept. For, for the merits that it had um, and sought to resolve those first. So yeah, real interesting evolution of the engineering this year. Way above my pay grade, dude. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So let maybe we've already spoken a good bit about Haas. Uh, maybe we'll take them and AlphaTauri kind of in stride together. Anything else you want to call out in either of those before we, before we move on? Um, I mean, yeah, just the, we've talked a bit about KMAG, but uh, there was, I can't even believe there was any debate as to who was at fault in that accident um you watch the driver cams on both and like poor hamilton just looks like he is perfectly just moseying around that turn four and just you see magnuson's like front wheel come out of nowhere and just smash into him and then like spin off into the gravel and hamilton was probably like dude what the fuck was that um so was like going side by side with you on the go-kart track in new jersey oh you better believe it um yeah, so Magnuson, you know, he's uh, he's hot and cold. You he, he can put up some times, but he's uh, he's not best in wheel to wheel battles. So, um, and then on Alphatari, I mean, surprisingly, Sonoda holding steady, doing what he needs to do, outperforming Gasly. Uh, meanwhile, Gasly, uh, unfortunate for him, no running in FP three um, due to engine issues uh, in the practice. He had smoke coming out the back of his engine. Not sure what ended up being the the primary issue, but um, that meant he had a suboptimal setup going into qualifying, put him at the back of the grid, 
um, and was just never able to find his his way forward. I mean, I think similar to the to the McLarens, it just doesn't seem like they have very good straight line pace, um, which is a bit surprising given where Red Bull is at. But I mean, yeah, it just seems like they can't make a lot of passing on track. So um, surprisingly, uh, a bit of a struggle for them this year. Anything else on on them? Is Yuki Sonoda kind of having the like the most quiet but like sneakily most improved season versus last year? Most improved? Um, I mean, take okay, we got to take Alpha Tauri's car performance out of it. Yeah, yeah. But on a relative basis, yeah, because I, I mean, the other like surprising, just like driver performance overall, I would have said is is Ocon, who's been like very quiet but still sitting ninth in the Ugh. in the driver standings i know you'd love to hear it but um i mean yeah i i think given where the car is at like yuki has has moved along and i think while you while you have um well as you'll talk about with joe that not crashing isn't enough to expect from a, a first year driver i mean yeah he had a really bad kind of whole year but certainly first half of last year and now he's sitting top 10 so um i'm sorry that's not right but um he's sitting 11 overall so yeah i mean props to him so he's he's not on i don't think he's on the way out he wasn't on our short list of people not to be renewed which compared to where where he was last year he was very much on that list for a lot of people so yeah yeah i don't have any i don't have any strong reasons to believe that anything driver wise will change at alfred tower year over year um i mean but you have to say inversely is has there been any bigger fall from grace than gasly this year last year putting up six you know p6 qualifying similar race finishes i mean and now he he can't break into the top 10 to save his life any bigger fall from grace i don't know i mean i think ricardo is just a total train wreck and i get it's not a fall because he already had kind of fallen down the stairs and broken everything last year (laughs) but still like I don't know. I'm not going to be too hard on Gasly, and I say that as a person who doesn't love the French. Well, and and I think I mean you're maybe right though in terms of Ricardo because at least he I think he what finished eighth overall at the end of last year, so basically where you would expect him as a number two driver on the fourth best team, and now he's sitting in twelfth. So I mean he has in terms of points, and now granted points are very narrow all the way up until tenth at this point. I mean he's back four points from Magnussen in tenth, but still. Um, yeah, so Ricardo and Gasly on the on the way down. Sonoda on the way up. Who would have thought? All right, let's let's talk Alpine. Alpine, you want to kick us off? I think that they've got great race pace. I mean, it was obvious. I, I I don't think any other team between both drivers netted more uh, positions gained over the whole race because what Alonso went from. Last, right? Last to what ninth, and Ocon went from twelfth to seventh. Yep. So obviously they're doing something right. Yeah, the bugaboos with Alpine have been yeah clearly can pass on track. Yeah, yeah, and so the bugaboos with them are uh, reliability and just general like driver consistency, right? But I mean, I don't know. Like, where do you rank them, right, relative to the other midfield contenders at this point in the season? I mean, what, they're currently sixth in the constructors, but they're only marginally behind Alfa Romeo, who is basically 
fighting with one arm behind their back, and then McLaren, who is also fighting with one arm behind their back. So, yeah, how do you rank their odds? I mean, I, I think that they're trending up. I mean, yeah, you have McLaren 4, Alpha 5, Alpine 6, and McLaren at 4 has 50 points. Alpine is at 34. So, I mean, they're 16 back. Well within striking distance. And I would arguably put them probably as the fourth best team as a whole. Do I think Norris is probably better than both drivers on Alpine at this point? I would say yes. But both Alpine drivers have shown that they are like basically at the same class, very close performers week in and week out. The car seems to have the pace. Alonso has just been extraordinarily unlucky, whether it be taking damage from other drivers on track or mechanical issues. I mean, if the guy could just get a couple clean weekends, they would they would bite into that gap seriously while, you know, Joe has struggled to get really into the points. We'll talk more about about why and Ricardo obviously struggling to to still get into the points. So, I mean, yeah, Alpine has a really good odds to to move it up into fourth place here. I don't see Monaco being friendly to them. I don't see Baku probably being very friendly to them. Uh, Canada, maybe, though. And then Silverstone, maybe. So they, they seem to thrive on the power tracks. They've got great straight line overtaking speed. Um, you never know. I'd love to see Alonzo put it on pole. I still, like, I, I've said it before, like, he's the driver that I think I'd be most satisfied by him kind of having an unexpected win. Uh, just given, I, I'm just so, I, I'm so impressed by his relative performance at his age. And he still seems like he's got the fire. He uh, he's super impressive. So well, especially to your point, when you look at the latter half of this year, right? You're going to have Great Britain, Austria, France, Belgium. You got Monza, Japan, the U.S., Mexico, Brazil. The schedule sets up well for him. Yeah, I, I also think they're doing something interesting where it, it seems like they may be sacrificing qualifying setup pace in favor of race pace. I mean, they just have in week in and week out underperformed in qualifying and then shown that they're able to pl- pass many of those same cars on track. And so I, I just think you might see, might be seeing different setup strategies where Haas, for example, I suspect maybe trying to optimize for really good qualifying positions, putting Ma- Magnuson in the top and that, and sacrificing something come, come race day. That's largely an uninformed perspective. Uh, alpha. Um, yeah, I mean, very much a story of two races here. So Botas, Mr. Consistency, solid drive, started seventh, finished sixth, basically. Um, yeah, so basically with Leclerc out of the way, so he didn't really make any net gains in the race. And for a second race in the row, row Joe out, unfortunately, again, with an engine issue, um, apparently similar cooling issue to what he had in Miami. Um, so really, I mean, no fault of his own, uh, to be honest. And so while, while at least I was sort of praising him from early race performance, it's, it's easy to probably discount where he's at now. Again, hasn't had any fireworks positive or negative. I think he's just been moving along, getting the job done, which compared to a, Yuki Sonoda, year one. I wouldn't say he's been getting the job done. For a rookie driver of moderate repute. What's the job? What? How, okay, so what's the job? Not hitting the wall? For a rookie driver, I would say, like, yeah, qualifying 
largely where your car should be. And I know he's probably underperformed in qualifying, but bringing the race Botas car home is where that weekend and when I, I mean, maybe. Dude, Botas is where that car should be. And I, and maybe what I'm trying to do here is give the constructor alpha more credit than Botas is because Botas is currently getting all the credit as a driver. I think Alpha, the constructor, should be getting the lion's share of the credit. I was reminded. I was reminded as George Russell completely blew Botas's doors off in the last ten of that race. With and I get Botas was on disadvantage tire strategy, but like I, I, everybody's always like, "Oh, he's such a good single lap qualifier, and now he's totally freed up, and he's the leader of the team, and he can set the car he wants. He's totally free, you know, and he's showing his ass on Instagram. Good for you, like." He still has no teeth in defense on the track. He's a total wet blanket when anybody runs up behind him. He basically handed Lewis a position in a gift basket and said, there you go, old buddy, like, just take it from me. Which, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of respect for, even if you do have decent qualifying pace. I, I That did bother me. Well, and then in then in um, Miami last, last race, it was... You know, he's got Hamilton and Russell right behind him. And apparently he missed the the breaking point because he was busy watching Hamilton and and Russell in his rear view. So, yeah, look, uh, he's yeah. a racecraft zero out of ten. Great qualifier, race manager and risk mitigator, but not a phenomenal racer. This is as my this is as my brother goes on the golf course, man. He's he's got his tour card on the driving range before the round. And then he steps onto the first tee and it all falls apart, baby. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's not going to put the ball in the hole. It's not. And I think that that car is good. I think Joe is underperforming on a relative basis. I mean, yeah, but who wouldn't have expected that as a rookie driver? I, I, again, I think the, the expectations. And again, there's been. Yeah, I, I think he the, is who I thought he was. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he was a, a high performing F2 driver that you know, didn't clear all the junior categories with wins across the board, like, you know, Piastri. But he's pretty good. Should he be doing more? Yeah, I think so. But again, you saw Yuki try to do more and put it in the wall a couple of times, and people are telling him, all right, well, he shouldn't be in the car at all. So, I mean, if I'm him, yeah, I I'm probably taking the Yuri Vips route and just making sure the car comes home week in and week out so we can invest in car development, right? Um, but hopefully he gets some clean races coming up and, and we can see him get a bit more comfort in the car and, and see if he really does have any more pace than what he showed so far. All right. Well, we've already given him more attention on this, on this podcast than I, than I wanted to. So <laughs> I, maybe I know. we should move you, you on to McLaren. Sh shuffle us on as quick as you could, but I'm, you know, I'm giving him the airtime. All right, McLaren. Oh, good for you. All right. Norris eighth has what I'm going to characterize as a, I don't want to call it harsh because I understand the rules are black and white, but a very unfortunate lap deletion that prevents him from getting into Q3 and getting arguably better track position. Uh, Ricardo is where he is every week, which is basically not relevant. Thoughts? Well, however, he did make it into Q3 and he was able to keep it within the track limits. So I don't know. Yeah, well, so how much of that? Again, great on the range. Great on did the range. Did he put the ball in the hole? I, and this goes back to the completeness of a team, right? And while Norris finished eighth as a constructor, their team gave up points to Alpha with Botas in front and Alpine with Ocon in front. 
And certainly on the Alpine front, if a if Alonso can get a clean weekend, they're giving up points to two drivers potentially. Um, Alpha show uh, probably not, but um, but you know if he's beating Ricardo, that that says a lot as well. So um, yeah, they're in a bit of a tough spot with with Norris kind of holding steady, but hasn't shown massive pace gains as well. And I think you'll hear Norris. He sounds a bit dejected in a lot, in some interviews these days of they just don't have that straight line speed. They can't seem to really make moves on track and, and clear people on the straights as they would like to. Um, so, so yeah, I think they're surprisingly in a, in a bit of a tough spot despite sitting fourth in constructors right now. He, what he really knows is that next year he's no longer going to be the darling of the McLaren social media account because Colton Herta is going to be his teammate. So I get it's frustration. I get it. I'd be afraid of that too. I can only imagine what gimmicky bullshit they're going to make them do then. Can I? Yeah, can't be any more gimmicky than the crop tops that James Corden made him wear. That <laughs> You'd was hope not. Cringeworthy. <laughs> can I ask you? I'd like to challenge. I don't. Okay, I don't want to challenge the the premise of track limits. Oh, we should. Definitely, I get it. We should black challenge and, all the FIA's rules. But 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 I get it. It's black and white. You go over the line or you don't go over the line. They got the right camera angles. It's irrefutable if you do it, however small a margin, which is for Lando in qualifying was the tiniest of margins. Like when you were watching his onboard, it was not abundantly clear from that angle that he had crossed the line. I, I honestly still haven't seen a camera angle that actually shows him crossing the line. They've got a video. They've got cameras aligned for those types of like high violate, like frequently. Violate yeah. Yeah. But I just haven't seen that because I don't know. Is that really one? I didn't think that that was really a corner. Cause as he said, he was like, I didn't gain anything because all you're doing is speeding up to get into like a three turn chicane. Well, I don't know. Maybe they publish it on the deep web. If that's the case, I'm sure you'll have an easy time finding oh, it. Yeah. But I, what what I'm really questioning is the necessity of track limits on a turn exit where the immediate penalty is the gravel. Had he gone any further, any further, he's losing the left side of the car on the gravel. So my question is, like, why don't you just let Mother Nature take care of it? Like, why have the gravel that close and enforce a track limit? I don't get it. Yeah, and I, I didn't really pick up on how close that gravel was, but after rewatching, yeah, it seems like they've perfectly measured the distance between the white line to the end of the 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 tarmac into the gravel at like the perfect width of the car because his left wheel was crossing over that green pavement into the gravel, and so you would think so. I mean, look, I think they've made a big push to go into like a, a single rule track limits right whereas even last year there was like well this turn and that turn are track limits the other turns aren't track limits this the tire in or tire out so i think they've just tried to standardize a little bit and it would just be more complex than it's worth but i mean yeah i'm fully on board with with you know let them push it a little wider and if that means they they save it in the grass or save it in the gravel then like all right like let's see it but but now i, I think for them it's it's simplicity and trying to eliminate as many points of of controversy or opportunities to debate as possible. Look at you sympathizing with the FIA. I know. Who would have thought? Shit. What's happened to me? Uh, you know what would be cool? And, uh, you know, FIA or uh, Sky Sports graphic guy, if you happen to be listening, uh, <laughs> if they would add red lines on the sides of the track on the track overview graphic for where the track limits are. What do you mean? I'd it's love white, to be able to- It's the white line. Well, no, but they don't. I'm saying where they actually are enforcing it. 
But I think technically it's it's everywhere now. Well, okay. If that is the policy, then I understand. But that has not been true historically. Yes, historically it has not been. They were doing select currents, but as far as I know, now it is the white line around right. the entirety of well, the you know track. What? So I think I'm totally supportive of that. I, I think they did it. Now, first, I, if we're going to make a nod to the graphics guy, I would like to make a push that at no point ever should they be removing the running order and the interval times. And while we're at it, tires and number of laps on those tires. Oh, dude, you know they do it to prioritize the drone the drone shots. I, and the instant replay <laughs> of some shit that happened whilst drama is currently happening. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I, I mean, I can understand. You want to save as much screen <laughs> space for that compelling footage as possible. Dude, those drone shots, I felt like I was in the upside down. It was awful. I feel bad for the drone operator because you know he's like pushing <laughs> that thing as much as he can and they can't keep up. It's like, dude, get this guy in some better equipment. <laughs> I agree with you on the graphics, though. I wish they would just be consistent, but I... Especially like on the driver cams in particular. So they do it in replays, they do it in the drone footage, but like when you watch the driver cams as well, they don't have the the interval times. And so if you were to just watch the driver cam, like to be able to scroll through and and see sort of that next battle playing out you can't do it yep. so graphics guy you got some you got some to do's all right mclaren aside let's get to mercedes we already covered them off a little bit but any any net new to to cover here i know i know they're your new favorite team so I, i'll give Ow. you the chance to really dive in here f off gotta give credit where credit's due i well maybe i just want to tee you up for your inevitable spew at Lewis Hamilton based on his desire to basically pull the car into the garage after the second lap and save the engine. What were your thoughts there? He was, he was a special kind of dejected after the K mag run in. Yeah, look, so I I know that myself and, and I really, both of us don't have much of a leg to stand on in critiquing people's, um, team radio, uh, composure. Um, but I guess the, and look, I am, I, if I would pick a Hamilton who's candid and honest versus one who's scripted, I'll take the candid and honest Hamilton anytime. I'll also take a driver who is angry and frustrated, but wanting to push that much harder than Hamilton's comment of, well, let's just save the engine because there's no hope here. Especially especially coming from the one person on the grid who has had more examples of being in last and coming up to even win the race or, you know, finish on the podium than anyone else racing currently. So it was just a bit disappointed. And and honestly, I think what I've come to realize is that all of his like little catchphrases, like still we rise are basically just like I think meditative self affirmations that Angela like chants to him before and after he gets in and out of the car, oh uh, just to like keep him calm and focused. Um, because I mean I think you've seen multiple instances of like his frustration and Toto has to come on the radio and tell him it's not you Hamilton it's the car we're really sorry and like I, I mean come on man how many times have you climbed the entire order in your car and you ended in fourth and they even told you oh maybe eighth knowing that if you didn't get eighth you would have you know if they told you fourth and you didn't get fourth you would have been even more pissed off so i don't know i just felt like it was a little bit hypocritical and and disappointing given how much he's all about the 
the perseverance and keep the fight alive. Like scream at somebody, get mad, like be ready to like rip somebody's face off um, and go crazy on track. But just to like call it a day. um, I don't know. That's not what I want to see from my, my number one driver. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, I think in the moment, yeah, you got to be dejected. Your teammate is down the road fighting, fighting for the race win. You just got run into through absolutely no fault of your own by a Haas. Like, I think I would have been pretty pissed too. On a track, mind you, with no overtaking, traditionally. And also, like, I know he couldn't have known this in the moment when it happened, but like, he made all of that ground up with zero safety car help. Well, so that's the thing, is he has been advantaged countless times in the past by safety cars, narrowing of the pack, etc. So he was able to do what he did, even without a safety car. If he had gotten a safety car, he probably would have beaten Russell still. So, you know, he'd have been on the podium. So, I, I, it's just, look, I can get people who, like, don't like screaming at the team, and what does that do for team culture, and look, I get all of that. But I'd still rather have my driver doing that and still fighting like hell to win than being willing to pull it in the garage on lap two. So just a little bit disappointed, but look, hell of a race, hell of a performance overall. Uh, yeah. I, I can't say I would have expected anything different. I'm just surprised that he expected less of less of himself. Ooh, stuck him with that like parent parental guilt there at the end. Uh, yeah, I think you're being completely ridiculous. I think to say that he <laughs> expected like less of himself is you're mischaracterizing in the moment frustration that I think every driver is guilty of and in far worse degrees, far, far worse degrees. So Hamilton just, it manifests as dejection and sadness. Dude, when Max, when Max gets pissed about that stuff, he doesn't just get defeatist. He like lashes out. (laughs) Yeah, I'd rather have that. Aggressively. Maybe that's my own, maybe that's a reflection on myself. Yeah, I think I think maybe so. All right, let's uh, we're we're over time. Sorry, we gotta we gotta maybe take Red Bull and Ferrari collectively. And you know, I, I do I do want to give Monaco its due in the preview, just based upon the fact that it's a week away and you know holds a sacred place in the F one calendar. Laugh out loud. Uh, so, any closing thoughts on Red Bull and Ferrari? We've covered them both kind of in part, but what, what other what other? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Red Bull we've covered off sufficiently. I think as I look to Ferrari, you, you know, they said you said that they had made gained a little bit of pace maybe on red bull i I don't actually know if that's true i mean before he spun out verstappen was pretty much managing like similar like races before managing that gap at like a second and a half and so i I think um i I think it is very very close still and i think ferrari still probably optimizes a bit for qualifying puts themselves in a good position and then whether it's their setup or, or just how the car is designed naturally, I think, yeah, they're still suffering from probably greater dag and giving, giving Red Bull the, the ability to just sit back, wait for that to take place, and, and make their move later in the race. So still very close on their part, but signs being overall big, the big disappointment. Yeah, tough for me to know whether they're optimizing the car for qualifying or if that was just like a great lap from Charles Leclerc. I mean, he, yeah. that truly was a great lap. He obviously got the car in the right window, but that was a special lap. And sometimes guys just pull those out. He's a great driver. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, the big the big thing here is, you know, signs like you couldn't have had a better recipe for you to go win your home Grand Prix. Yeah. 
I mean, especially when you look at what happened with Eclair, right? Even before that, but but certainly yeah, after the fact. Who, yeah, and and with Max spinning, yeah, he, yeah, he. I, I am confident that his talents exceed what he has achieved thus far, but he is in a bad headspace, and you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get out of it. He better thank God he doesn't have a Ferrari young driver breathing down his neck on a lower team, blowing the doors off things right now. Because obviously, Botas isn't the guy. Zoe's not there. Mick Schumacher's obviously not there. And they're not just going to pull some guy up out of F2. So, but I mean, imagine a scenario where you, you know, you basically had another version of Charles Leclerc sitting in Alpha right now in the second seat, tearing it up. Like, I know he just signed a contract extension, but damn, dude, like, he, he is really, really not performing. Well, and he's such a quandary, too, because I, I feel like the last three weeks, one was an issue with Ricardo crashing into him. The other one was like Miami, where it was this really weird corner where it sort of just like caught him out. And this week was the same turn that Max spun out with a strong tailwind. And so it seems like he's just make he's having these like really odd mistakes at this point, rather than like really significant like driver errors. So it's hard to say if that's just like the car's on a knife's edge and he doesn't quite have the touch or he's doing something weird, but they just seem like odd mistakes that he's making. And, and you have to think that these, those could get cleaned up well, but yeah, it's been, it's been quite the, the trying stretch for him. So I'm done. I'm done making excuses for him, man. The wind blows on every car going into turns. You're not the only guy that's getting <laughs> affected by this stuff. Like I, at some point you just got to perform. Yeah. And he's it, there. It's, so, it's at that point. Yeah. All right, personal podium. Who's on yours? Yeah, let's let's hit these quick. I gotta say, um, Botas. I mean, just from the consistency, he's kind of the only one keeping his team in the points, and and they're still alive in the constructors' race here. So uh, props to him. And the other one, uh, I mean, you called it out earlier, much to my surprise, but Latifi beat his teammate, big P sixteen. I mean, you got to take the wins <laughs> where you can get them. So props, Latifi. I think he even got a mention on the broadcast for overtaking whoever it was that he ever took to get from Magnuson with like 16. significant Magnuson. car damage. Yeah. Yeah. Get him a trophy. That's off to you. All right. How about you? <laughs> uh, Russell, look, there's no denying the relative pace uh, for sure. Uh, I'm Hamilton. I'm going to Mercedes in my personal podium wow. this week just for all the things we mentioned. I thought, despite your absolute evisceration of his one soundbite on team radio uh all the actions that there followed were a bit more indicative of the old lewis which you know i think is uh is great i feel like his new uh i feel like his new slogan should be still we rise when toto tells me it's okay again i think you've been sitting on that one a little too long oh my gosh (laughs) jeez you know no respect here Jeez, I know, I know he's your favorite driver respect, on your favorite I team, respect. but uh, you know you gotta you gotta remain objective here, Graham. Pretty soon you're I gonna be wearing respect. that white Mercedes hat. So I have a respect for comedy. Uh, anybody uh, else on your podium? Helmet Marco for not saying anything racist. He actually was out of my Twitter feed this weekend, shockingly. So that was good to see. Ah, well, they're going to Monaco next. I'm sure he'll he'll get caught up in the moment and let something slip. Helmet hates the Monogasks. <laughs> um, All right, DNF. Yeah, how about you? Uh, Aston for rolling out a green Mercedes and still sucking, um, primarily. Yeah. 
I had signs because he is just absolutely crushing my fantasy team. He is supposed to be my my driver that he can double up on points every week. That's not working out so well. Um, I had Leclerc. Yeah. Um, and then, um, unsurprisingly, Hamilton. Just, I, just not a fan of. You them. had Hamilton yeah, as a DNF dude, of the week. I'm telling you, I I would rather have one of the drivers like curse their engineer's mother out then have my driver sit there and say, let's just, let's just retire the car for today. I'm not feeling it. Like, ah, just, yeah. Unacceptable. Far worse, far worse crimes have been committed on team radio. I think that is. Name one. What's the crime that's worse? I mean, then wanting wanting to quit when you have a car that can finish in fourth. What's worse? Literally everything Yuki Sonoda said on team radio for the entire season last year. Just the fuck. Literally just every- the fuck word. He just said fuck. Literally everything. Also, like uh, no. I think Max is one of the quickest drivers on the grid to throw the team under the bus over radio or his engineer individually if something's not right. Um. So you would rather I mean, have a else- you would rather have a quitter than the hostility. He didn't quit. That's the thing. If it was up- taking his words at face value. If, if it was up to him, he would have pulled in the garage and and gotten his massage started early. Do you think that if they had said, okay, Lewis, like you can quit, GP would have been like, Lewis, you can, not GP. If you, if uh, Bono had said, okay, Lewis, like pull it in if you want to, you think he legitimately drives off the track? Do you think he actually would have done that? I don't know. He, he said he wanted to save the engine. If Bono comes in and says, fuck it, Lewis, it's up to you. You think Lewis is literally pulling into the pits one lap after he got his time. I don't know. We could we could play what Come on, we could play Jared. what ifs all we want. He said what God, he said. Dude, I heard what I is... heard. God. If you were a principal on a team, that's what you want your driver saying on the radio in a moment of of perseverance and adversity. I don't think so. Tell me about Monaco. I can't do this anymore. Tell me about Monaco. <laughs> um, all right, Monaco. I mean, a staple on the calendar since I think 1955 originally. Um, seen as one of the most uh, posh and sort of uh, indicative of the the opulence that that comes with Formula One, but coming under increasing pressure on a variety of fronts these days. Um, first, because unlike a lot of other tracks, particularly newer ones, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, etc., those tracks pay, I think, $55 million a year to have their place on the calendar. Uh, while Monaco has just been paying $15 million. So they are underpaying. I don't know exactly the details behind that. It's just a sweetheart deal, probably because of their history. I think it's largely probably a difficult place to like get the same kind of crowd to as well, right? I mean, the, the country probably doubles in size on a Grand Prix we- weekend. Um, well, I... I don't know. I don't know how much actual ticket revenue they can capture because so much of the track viewing experience is captured from like private residents. Exactly. Exactly. So they just don't. They don't have the stands. They don't have the probably. I mean, I haven't been, but quite as interesting of the venue around like being able to kind of walk around uh, a, a standalone track. And now with all these new tracks coming in, there's there's pre- and I think the other pressure point has been the cars just continue to move in the opposite direction from what is conducive to a good race in Monaco. I mean, they are just way too big now, even more than last year to be able to, to quote unquote race on this track. So basically it's a qualifying on Saturday. You enjoy the procession on Sunday, maybe something crazy happens or, or really good pitch strategy, right? You get some cool 
instances where you get that really nuanced like battle of managing the gap, hitting your pit, having a great outlap, all of that stuff. But but that tends to be the extent of the the action. Um, so you know, as we look back the last couple of years, um, if we go to 2021, I mean, the notable incident was. And there's 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 a common theme here. Um, if we go back to 2018, Leclerc DNF'd. Um, <laughs> if we go to 2019, Leclerc DNF'd. That was the race where he sort of like tried to make a pass on the inside, hit his back right tire that I think ultimately led to a puncture, and it was like shredded, ended up destroying his whole car, and like had to retire. Uh, there was no race in 2020 in Monaco because he had COVID, or because but of it, COVID. If there would have been, he would have DNF'd. <laughs> he would have DNF'd because of COVID. Um, <laughs> 2021 uh, didn't finish because he crashed in qualifying, basically securing himself pole position, but broke his gearbox. Right. Well, had the suspension. Well, yeah, had the suspension issue, um, which which ultimately made he had to retire. They didn't really find until I think the formation lap. So he well, it's a gearbox. When you when you slam the side of your rear suspension, it can sometimes damage the gearbox. But if you open it up to find out, you take a grid penalty, right? Yep. So they risked it. Yep. And then they pulled him. Yep. Yeah. And um, while the while that's a, so this might be a, confusing for some of you, but while the ra- the, while the F one race is in Monaco next weekend, Leclerc has actually already crashed a car in Monaco <laughs> in twenty. You can't make it up in twenty twenty two. This time a priceless it was Nicky Lauda's car, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, you can't make that up. So so yeah, a bit of a, a, a rough run on his on his home GP. So I mean, last year you had Max as the winner. 19 you had hamilton as a winner um so i mean very indicative of top car performance top qualifying performance so look i i would not be surprised i (laughs) name of track aside i would put leclerc as a really good shot to pull get pole position and win this race but um the track record is definitely against him how how about you are you leaning on the side of history or uh or current performance I think this may be like a Phil Mickelson at the U.S. Open type thing. It's like one of those Leclerc just never spends his whole career trying to get over the mental hurdle and just never can. I also uh, some of the some of the most memorable moments, single lap performances in F1 history. One of them was Ayrton Senna's 1991 rain lap at Monaco, um, a rain performance in Monaco. I think it was a qualifying lap specifically where he just like every statistical model that said how fast he should. I mean, he just shattered all of them. Yeah. Uh, it, there is rain in the forecast, Saturday, Sunday, kind of intermittent. I think that that could bring some spice to what otherwise will be a pretty monotonous weekend at Monaco. I'd be honest with you, my proposal for how they fix this race, because I don't think it can be fixed as long as it's a traditional race, I think you take Monaco. I think you put it in the middle of the summer break and treat it like an all-star weekend, and you put all the F1 drivers in like a spec series souped-up go-kart and have them race for charity. I, I like the venue. It's just a, it's your, the point you made at the very beginning. The cars just don't work on it. I don't think you have to do it. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you got to change it so that we can preserve the venue, but not necessarily have to have a race for constructors and drivers' championship points on that track because it it's really a qualifying race, which isn't fair because that's not how the rest of the calendar is structured. Yeah. Yeah, I, first of all, I love the idea. I think that's awesome. I would love to see it just to, and I'm I'm sure they wouldn't hate it either in terms of like the nostalgia of, of 
you know, getting to race all these guys in car. And it would sort of be that one time in the season where if all the carts are the same, you could sort of get that like fantasy scenario of like, who really is the better driver? But like, oh, well, it was just carts. Like, who really cares? But like, I don't know. It'd be like that, like redeeming badge that you get of like, well, hey, I mean, you had the fast car, but I've won the cart race. So um, I won Monaco. So, yeah, I think that would be a cool idea. Well, why don't you have them throw, float three balloons behind the, the carts <laughs> while they're driving and shoot some shells? Throw out banana like, peels? <laughs> yeah, like, any, anything but the absolute parade of cars that we have after the, the green flag. I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, look, as a, as a, as a lover of qualifying, I, I think it's awesome from that standpoint. I mean, it is truly an impressive drive that those guys make it is on their on their hot lap and qualifying but yeah i mean damn sunday is a is a bit of a downer dude the f1 game a lot of the tracks you can be really rapid on i'm gonna be honest it monaco is absolutely impossible <laughs> those cars it is a hundred percent impossible to keep it out of the wall and I, I, I get I'm on a, pl- a plastic steering wheel setup, but man, it is really hard. Like you got a lot of data points. Way harder than Singapore. Way harder than Singapore. I just find like it's so hard to even tell where you're at sometimes, and like the next corner that's coming up, and like they're all every corner is a blind corner. Yeah, it's it's a tough go. Um, and look, I, if they could come up with the hosting fee. I bet it stays on the track regardless of the the quality of the racing. And if they do that, like I actually looked at some of the prices, they they weren't for like a general admission Sunday ticket, weren't more than Miami. Let's just say that. I was about to say it couldn't have been more than Miami. No. So I mean, yeah, will they become more ridiculous? Undoubtedly. But um, but if not for that, like yeah, it's just it, it's hard to see. And like I love it for the the history, the qualifying is still great, but. But yeah, it's just it's quite an outlier at the moment. Uh, I like this but bit about you, the hosting fee. That yeah, that was a fun fact. I didn't know that. But who do you uh, who do you take then? Who's your who's your well, winner? We'll wrap this up. Uh, I'm going to give you just one bold prediction. Um, I do not think that Leclerc DNFs, but I think we have a wet qualifying. Russell puts it on pole, wins the race. Ooh. Hmm. How about you? Um, I, I can't, I'm sorry. I just can't make the the Leclerc doesn't DNF bet. Um, <laughs> and look, I think it's just largely the fault of he drives on the limit so much, right? It's it's like him and Max can't take a lap off, and the risk is just so much higher at Monaco, and eventually gets you. So I gotta go with I gotta go with another qualifying great. And I'm going with, I can't see him in first, but I have Botas on podium. Ugh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what is wrong with that take? When has this man ever been successful at Monaco? The most notable thing that's happened to him at Monaco was a machined wheel nut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand where you're coming from. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. All right, well, we'll take it. I thought you were going to tell me that Hamilton has a bad FP1 because they forget to hook up his drink bladder and he decides to fly home before the weekend even starts. That's, that's what I thought you were going to say. Damn, that would, have been, that would have been a better one. Shit. Yeah, well. <laughs> All right, well, I'm All right. Out.
Any other closing thoughts before we before we bounce? I got nothing. Let's close Carol, it out. Always a pleasure, buddy. Always. See ya. See ya. Peace.